Thank you all for checking out Convergence. Today you are listening to a conversation with me and my wife, Sarah. In the podcast, we talk about trauma's effect on parenting and marriage. Check out our website at convergenceva.com. There you will find featured artists and their artwork, as well as past and present podcasts. You can also find Convergence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Convergence Podcast for the wanderer, cynic, and half-empty. How's it going, everybody? So, September 27th, 2014, my wife and I got married. But before we got married, we met. At Pleasant Hill Outdoor Camp. I think we met for the first time in May, right? Yeah, late May. Yep. I remember the day you came strolling in in your white Jeep and you stepped out. I said to myself, man, what a woman. And then what did I do? <laughs> he introduced himself. You put out your hand to shake my hand and said, Hello there, my name is Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> that's my camp name. So I have no game, but that's okay. But uh, I knew at that point that you were a very attractive woman. But... I did not know that I would be marrying you that same year in September. And you didn't know that either. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so when we we met and then we had both committed to no relationships that summer. Um, I know... That was a huge goal of mine. I was just done with relationships. I wanted nothing to do with a relationship. I had made that commitment. And I know, I think you had made a similar commitment coming into camp that you wouldn't be in any relationships that year, that Mm, summer. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Maybe I, mine was maybe a little more firm. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, um, I just kept thinking about Sarah. I kept thinking, I really like Sarah, but I don't want to be in a relationship this summer. And she she just kept coming back up over and over and over and over and over. And finally I said, God, I really need some clarity on this. And God was... God was gracious with me, and what I did, which I, I'm i embarrassed to admit that I did it, but I did it. I did a quote-unquote fleece test of sorts where I, I had two different hammocks set up that summer, and the one I had set out, I said, um, if I can remember this, if the hammock 
is wet and the stuff inside of my hammock is dry, then I will ask her out on a date. And I had no rain fly and it had been pretty rainy. And so I went back to check on that hammock later and the hammock was wet and the stuff inside of it was dry. So I asked her out on a date and I did so in my normal Andrew fashion by sending a little we had these things called warm fuzzies at this camp they were basically like little notes you could put in uh, the little mailboxes and they'd be like encouraging things or just whatever Um, so I put it in there and Sarah got it and what did you think of this warm fuzzy I was flattered, but I wasn't interested. Um, I actually liked a different guy at the time at camp, and I had wrote him a warm fuzzy. Um, So I think I wrote something back like, oh, you're a cool guy, yeah. (laughs) It'll be good working with you this summer. I don't think you were that cold. <laughs> I no. think I, we still have it somewhere. I'll have to find it. I don't think it was that cold. I would have. I think I would have picked a hint up if you would have said mm. something that I that distant. But anyways, <laughs> somehow, somehow, by the grace of God, I got to go on that date, that first date with Sarah. And I know one person that was always in my corner, Peaches. <laughs> I don't know if you'll listen to these podcasts, but <laughs> I have a lot of thanking to do. Peaches was always Team Sparrow. Yes. Yes. And so I don't even rem- It's been so long. I don't even completely exactly remember how we got to the point where we were at our first date but we had been writing warm fuzzies back and forth for a couple weeks i want to say oh okay like it got to the point where they were pages long and then finally it was the first it was the friday before our first week of campers and i was cleaning my cabin And I thought you had come in. (laughs) I forgot about this. (laughs) You came in my cabin. I was alone in my cabin cleaning the bathrooms and praying for this new, you know, bunch of girls that were coming in. And you came in. You were the maintenance guy. And I think you had, I think you were even carrying light bulbs or something. So in my mind, I was like, oh, he's just here to do maintenancey stuff. So I was like, hey, this... This bunk bed's broken, and I need this done, and this over here needs done, and you're like, oh, okay, all right. And so then I went back to cleaning, like, okay, just do your thing, but (laughs) you were actually there to ask me out on a date. I think I said something along the lines of, hey, do you want to get a bite to eat, or something like that. That was in your warm, that was in your warm fuzzy. I don't remember what you asked exactly. Uh Oh, (laughs) I, I know I did say that because you always tease me about asking if you wanted to get a bite to eat (laughs) hey i don't know what else to say so that's what i said and food is good and every no one no one is going to turn food down so no your your first warm fuzzy was 
maybe we can get a bite to eat sometime. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what it was. But hey, you know what? Guess what we did on our first date? <laughs> we ate a church's chicken. We got a bite to eat. <laughs> and we went on a hike, a long hike. To a waterfall. To a waterfall. And we went to a botanical garden. We did. And on this first date, we talked and talked and talked. And we found ourselves really agreeing on a lot of things. And not just like simple cliche things, like deep things in life. Like our spirituality, where we where we felt like God was calling us, what he was calling us to do, the things God had put on our hearts, you know, different things like that. We really found ourselves agreeing in a lot of those things. And we were both cautious, but we started using more we terms instead of just I. And um, soon after that, I think, was it after our first date we sat by the lake after that, or was that our s- second date? One of the dates we just sat by the lake, that big lake, and just talked and talked and talked. But um, I think by our third date, we knew that we were going to get married. I really knew on our first date, like by the end of that day, I knew at some point, I didn't know it was gonna happen that soon, but I knew that at some point you're the guy for me. That it, it was just such a spirit-filled day. Like God showed up in so many moments. Like our callings lined up, the things that we were passionate about lined up. Like all the major points were dead on, and um, even like long-term goals, I think were, I don't even remember what our goals were at that point, but they were just, everything was so in sync. And then I think at one point I remember I started thinking like, he's just telling me what I want to hear. Like, he's just telling me, you like asked me what I like to do and I told you, and then I asked you and you started listing like the same stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay. And Without, I think you were even hiking like in front of me, so you couldn't see my face. But God spoke to you in that moment, and you were like, "Why? Why would I lie about something like this?" And just like set set the record straight. And I think God was really um, intentional about that in those early days, just making it really evident that we were supposed to be together. Yeah, and I would I would agree fully with that because. I always heard that small voice in my head, you know, kind of urging me to say things like that. Like, I I just felt my spirit that I needed to affirm that I wasn't just tagging, you know, just, oh, yeah, I like doing this and, you know, just repeating the same stuff, which I'm not that, which you know that now, but I'm not that kind of a person anyway, but... um. Yeah, I I definitely felt God moving me to say those things. And so, um, well, where it gets crazy is Sarah and I both, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Sarah and I both, I feel like prior to this, we're not the type of 
people to just kind of jump forward um, as quickly as we did into marriage. Like, for me, I always grew up with the, I'm going to be dating for at least a year, engaged for at least a year, and then talk about marriage kind of thing. And I think you were in a similar, you know, similarly thinking that way. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was, I think that was part of what made it feel so crazy and radical to us is that after three dates, God was saying, okay, you guys are going to get married and you're not just, you know, going to engage, you know, get engaged and then maybe a year from now get married. You're going to get married at the end of the summer. And we both had felt strongly convicted to do that. Like we knew that we needed to do that. And even crazier was people seemed completely okay with it, you know, at the time. Like they just, okay, if that's what you guys feel like you want to do, then okay. You know, and so that's what we did. We... We got married in September, and everything just kind of fell into place, you know, whatever whatever it was, you know, that everything just worked itself out. Um, and looking back on it, it just amazes me how everything came together like that. You know, people spend who know, long periods of time planning their wedding, getting everything all you know, put together and, you know, it, you know, obviously we didn't have that much time, um, or money or money, but a lot of things were provided for us. We had a lot of help from friends, camp. Yeah. Smoky and sticks. Definitely. And so, yeah, it just, it was amazing to me. Um, but, uh, so, I know for me, being freshly married, it was exciting and intriguing, and, you know, it was hard, too, you know, but um, it was just something new, and I was really looking forward to our future, you know, the things we were going to do, and just having a wife and sharing my life with somebody. And I think you were feeling sort of similar things, Uh, maybe more fear. You were a lot more afraid, understandably. But uh, maybe what were some of the things you were you were feeling? Well, I was excited too, and you know, it was new. It was this new relationship, and we had dreams of traveling, and you know, all these things we wanted to do that were exciting but also I was scared to death and I take marriage really seriously I always have and you know I'm committing the rest of my life to this guy that I don't even know I remember like I couldn't eat for like two weeks up to the wedding and I couldn't sleep and my family wasn't fully on board with it which didn't really help it was crazy because they never really specifically said anything. They never, like, they never tried to talk me out of it. Right. 
They made sure I wasn't pregnant. Right. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people probably thought that that was the case. Which makes sense. It makes sense why they would think that. But obviously you weren't. (laughs) No. So. Yeah, I mean. We go on our honeymoon. We were planning to go to Alabama to go to this mission um, mission thing. It was like a nomadic mission um, headquarters. And from there we would go on um, different, travel to different places and uh, preach the gospel and stuff like that. And we were on our way. And it just fell apart instantly. Like, we got totally cold-shouldered, like, on our way there. And so then we're scrambling. What in the heck are we going to do now? We have no job. We have a Jeep full of our stuff. And we're in southern Ohio all of a sudden. And then, I don't remember how it came about. But we wound up staying with one of Sarah's relatives, and we house sat for them. And it was, I think we stayed there for two or three weeks, didn't we? It was over a month. Was it really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And we're just still, like, kind of dead in the water. Like, all the winds knocked out of us. I'm freaking out. Sarah's freaking out. And then we go from there to visit Sarah's parents, right? And we stay there for, I think, a week. week. It was a week. Yeah. And then we wound up going to my mom's, and we lived there for a time. And then um, we had a couple other opportunities that sprang up and died just as quickly. And... So, I mean, we're in pretty rough shape at this point. We're like, seriously, what are we supposed to do? And finally, Sarah, she got a job um, at a gas station. And I wound up getting a job at a factory. And then we wound up moving into a really interesting apartment. (laughs) (laughs) And we stayed there for about three months or so. And then we felt like we should go back to camp again and so we went back and we spent the summer there and we were going to stay there for a long period of time but then they ran out of funds to pay us so then we were again in this situation like oh crap what are we going to do now and at this point Sarah had considered possibly getting her master's degree And so we checked out, we drove to Lynchburg, Virginia to check out Liberty University. And we really, really liked Lynchburg and we loved seeing the mountains. And um, Sarah had gone to college in uh, Bluefield, Virginia. So she was kind of used to seeing the mountains for four years. But uh, we're both from Ohio. The very, very, very flat part of Ohio, all the way up by the lakes. And so I hadn't seen, I had seen mountains, but not 
a whole lot. So I was just enamored by seeing all these mountains and just it was beautiful. And so we drove back to the camp and we decided we're moving to Lynchburg. Right? No, we... I got into the master's program, and then we wound up... I, I didn't remember if you had actually gotten in or you were... Because we wouldn't have been able to afford to come back. So we... Uh, I had gotten in, and again, we packed up the Jeep, got rid of what we couldn't, and headed to Lynchburg. Well, no, Carrie's wedding. My That's right. I was in a wedding in Virginia, and we didn't have money to get back home. Yeah. But we knew that we wanted to be in Virginia. We had visited a few several months prior, the last spring. We had come out and visited, so Andrew had seen the area a little bit, and I was familiar with the area. Yeah, that that's right. Then we stayed with your dad for a little bit in North Carolina, and then that's when you found your Macy's. Yeah, then I started working at Macy's part-time. A seasonal part-time position was the only the only um, income we had for like six weeks, I want to say. Yeah. It was a while. And then I got a job um, as a landscaper. And for a time, we I had a good, really good friend of mine. He offered some space for us to live in. And it was a garage, and we lived in this garage um, for, I don't know, six months? No. Not that long. It wasn't that long. Maybe another three months or something. Three months. January. That's right. Yep. And then we moved into our first apartment, and then you kind of, I kept my landscaping job for six years, and you had a couple different retail jobs. And then eventually got into um, Horizon Behavioral Health. And so we say all this to say, (laughs) at some point in our marriage, Sarah was realizing that there was an issue. Intimacy was a struggle for us. It was really hard. And it was... What it was, was I was unaware that my childhood traumas were affecting me and how they were affecting me. And so we had visited this church in Lynchburg called Mosaic. And the first Sunday, the pastor shared out of his journal, his personal journal. And this journal was something that he used when he was going through counseling himself. And he just verbatim read this journal out loud one Sunday and it hit me really hard you know just I've never heard anybody do that before and I was finding myself relating to some of the stuff he was saying and he was talking about counseling and I'd had such a bad taste in my mouth with counseling and so a combination of that and Sarah just saying look you really need to get some help there's something going on and so I started going to counseling. And um, eventually, fast forward to about 2018, because um, I think it was around 2016 at that time, 
but uh, 2018, that's when things got really, really hard. Because that's when we had worked to the point where it was the real deep traumas. We'd gone through like the stuff that affected me, but at 2018 is when we hit into the real deep traumas. Um, mostly like the sexual abuse that I'd gone through and um, even some of the, the other more uh, physical abuse, like the more intense physical abuse. And um, things got really hard for us in that. I mean, there, there are a lot of hard moments in our marriage early on, but, you know, that in particular was really difficult. Um, and you you want to, like, from your side of the, the um, from your point of view, what, what was some of the things that you, was hard for you? Well, going back to our, you know, we're kind of where we started. <clears throat> I think our issue, it was confusing and in a lot of ways because it was compounded, you know, I'm just married this guy I don't know and we keep jumping around. I feel like we're homeless and we don't have any stability. We don't have any money. So I can't trust you. I don't feel like you're taking care of me, even though most of the things were outside of your control. And then um, on top of those things was this, you know, the abuse that you had been through was affecting you in ways that were confusing to you and were confusing to me because I didn't know about it. And so... I don't even remember exactly what your question was, but um, for me, being a new, new, I'm going to go back to 2014, because being a new wife whose husband didn't want me sexually was was just heartbreaking. I mean, I, I couldn't understand it, and I thought that there was something wrong with me, and it really took years, I'm probably until 2000. 18 until we realized that these issues that we had really early on were the result of the abuse that you had endured. So, um, that me as your wife, I think, <laughs> um, the dealing with the like learning how to deal with that not understanding it like I just had to learn how to cope with it on my own without knowing why it was happening like that was just you had all these weird quirks about you that I never understood and I just took that to be Andrew all right yeah and I think it, I mean it took a while for us to be okay with intimacy um, cause I think even 2018, it wasn't, it took a while. It, I would say it wasn't until maybe, let's see, maybe three or four months before Creebo was conceived, somewhere in that vicinity was when we both started noticing that I was more open, you know, more functioning more healthily 
sexually. You know, things didn't trigger me and make me, you know, freak me out or, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, what I know for me, when I was going through the counseling, especially 2018, my whole world just felt like it was unraveled. And I was really raw and just, it's a lot to go through when you're unpacking and reliving all these childhood memories and trying to figure out what to do with all that stuff, you know, as a full-grown adult with responsibilities and people depending on you, and you've got all this stuff internally you're going through, and um, I know just from Sarah telling me, and it took me a long time to realize this, and I've realized it later on, you know, um, that my coping mechanism was to just disassociate, just disattach. I'd be lost in my head for long periods of time. And not I didn't realize it, didn't do it on purpose. It was just my natural way of coping with, you know, over, overly emotional uh, Andrew. And so, I mean, how was that? for you, you know, because you had to deal with a lot, you had, you went with me early on, and heard firsthand some of the things that I'd been through, and so you kind of had to wrestle with that, and deal with that, and also deal with a husband who was, didn't realize it, but he was mentally just not there for long periods of time. I think the disassociation was one of the first things that I noticed. Like, like that, maybe not the thing, but one of the things that I was like, okay, this isn't just like a quirky guy. There's something that we're not talking about or he's not telling me. And I, you had told me that you had been molested as a child, but the way that you told me made it sound like it was a one-time thing and you had forgiven the abuser and... Like, you just told me in a very nonchalant kind of way that made me think it, it probably wasn't... I mean, it's a big deal. Any kind of situation like that is a big deal, but... It was already resolved. Yeah, that yes. Yeah, it sounded like it was already resolved, but when you started... When I started noticing the disassociation, I think I started thinking, like, maybe there's more to this story than what he told me. And... I have a really vivid memory of we had gone to a wedding in Danville <clears throat> and I don't, it was just a, a a really bad time for us and I remember for some reason we started talking about about um our marriage and what was going on and I told you that I felt like we were just cohabitating like I I feel like we're just living in the same space I don't even know who you are or where you're at you're just gone like mentally you are not here and I don't know where you're going but you're not with me and I remember a kind of like making an ultimatum saying like you need to talk to somebody and I I had brought up counseling before and it was a trigger for you to hear the word counseling 
And I think I said, like, I don't care who you talk to. Like, you can talk to a pastor. You can talk to somebody, you know, off the street. It doesn't have to be just talk to somebody. You have to get whatever is going on out. Did that answer your question? I don't remember what your question was. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I was just asking how you managed dealing with finding out the extent of the abuse and dealing with the disassociated Andrew. So then learning how bad the abuse was was like this constant gut punch. Like it literally felt like somebody just knocked the wind out of me. And um, it was really hard thinking about the man that I love more than anyone being hurt the way that you were. Um, And then having, it was also difficult because I didn't have anyone to process this with. I couldn't process it with you because you were already going through your own junk. And then there was this huge umbrella of shame over what had happened to you and you you didn't want people to know like like it was this big deep dark secret that you were keeping and I felt like I had to keep too so people that I would have normally turned to to talk to about something like this were people we knew mutually and so I felt like that wasn't my story to tell that wasn't you know, something that I had a right to talk about with, uh, particularly with people that knew you because of this, you know, the shame that was surrounding it. And the, so it just felt like this just monster in our closet. All right. That was, it was affecting every part of our lives, but nobody else really knew about it. And that was hard too. It was a really lonely kind of isolated place for me trying to deal with learning about it which was a little bit traumatic for me because I came from such a good a good home I was never abused or hurt in any way I was always very protected and safe and loved I always knew I was loved I always knew I was safe and so even just hearing like knowing somebody that had been through that type of stuff the extent of the abuse was traumatic for me. Um, But then I'm also trying to support you as you were walking through that. Right. I think it was hard because it was a season where we both had needs that we couldn't 100% fulfill. Like you had needs from me that I could not 100% fulfill you had or and the vice versa and there are points in people's marriages where that happens but generally when a healthy marriage if I'm at 50% then you lovingly fill the void and when you're at 50% I lovingly fill the void but in that particular season we both had a huge void and neither one of us could fill that void. There was no capacity to. Yeah. And I think also what made it more difficult, but the 
well, what made it more difficult was too was that I was not in a very good place spiritually at the time either. You know, I was very. A lot of this stuff, part of the problem was a lot of this stuff was suppressed. You know, I I vaguely knew that it was there, but I couldn't put a finger on it. You know what I mean? I couldn't remember exactly. I just had the feeling that there was something there. And once I started digging through it and actually remembering stuff, it was overwhelming and that's an understatement and it really put me in a position where I was became very angry with God like where were you you know that just haunted me for a long time and praise God I'm past that now but so I didn't really feel like I could lean in to God or trust him to fill that void that I was feeling and I know too I think at a separate point but you also experienced the same thing where you were you couldn't or didn't want to trust God to fill the void that you had and you know you've moved past it too thankfully but um so that I think also was another it's kind of a perfect storm um, in, a, in a sense. And so, I mean, I think too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you really struggled to find either information or help in dealing with being the spouse of a traumatized person. You know, do you, is that true? Yeah, I tried to find, like, books or websites or groups or any kind of resource that I could draw from. And I think it came from a place of wanting to help you. Like, I I didn't know what to say or how to act in certain situations, and I wanted some type of resource to to guide me or a group of people that are going through it that I could, you know, bounce things off of, but there is nothing. Yeah. I mean, I remember you found a few books, but they weren't really helpful. No. Books. And so I think, um, that, that was a huge thing. I, I, I remember that. Um, so, having been on the other side you know past this now what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is the spouse of the traumatized I think the biggest thing is finding somebody to rely on to talk to about what you're experiencing get counseling yourself like, I think I would have really benefited that if I, well, I guess I did go to counseling. I struggled to find a counselor that helped me with this. But just finding, because my biggest thing, I think, was feeling isolated because I couldn't talk about it or I felt like I couldn't talk about it. But I think you can talk about it. Definitely. I think that's really important and um I would tell past Sarah the same thing that 
I was experiencing something as a result of what Andrew went through and what he was was going through and I needed people in my life to help me through that and I had a right to talk about it it was okay for me to talk about it not that I'm going to go on blast telling the whole world that you've been abused but to find somebody that is trustworthy that loves you or you know somebody that would love me I can think of a couple women that I really could have gone to in that time that would have benefited me and they would have been there but I I felt like I couldn't talk about it yeah like even you didn't know her well at the time but I'm sure Mimi would have been a perfect yeah that's person. who I was one of the people I was thinking that's, of for sure that's the pastor we were talking about earlier his wife um so and I I agree as from my point of view I agree 110% that and it doesn't I don't know how I would have to be honest cuz when you're when you're in a position as the traumatized person when you're in a position where you're getting all this counseling and you're remembering all this stuff and every little thing is like triggering you back to a moment in your childhood you really don't most of the time you don't really think very rationally you know I can look back on that and say you know I was not thinking very clearly or rationally and you're kind of stuck almost in this alternate reality you know you're disattached from reality in a lot of ways and so I don't know but I would want to say that you don't have to even necessarily tell, I don't know, maybe this isn't very good advice. Tell the, the, your spouse that you are going to counseling and talking to so-and-so. I don't know if that's the best advice. No, I, I would agree with that. I don't think, I mean, me and Mimi have had conversations about our marriage that I haven't necessarily told you about that have benefited me in my marriage. You know, I don't tell you every book I read and all the, right. you know, not that I'm keeping it a secret from you and it might come up in conversation, but, you know, you don't need to have insight into every single piece of my mind. I'm sure you wouldn't want to anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And. But I guess I was more thinking if, um, depending on what the traumatized person is traumatized from, they might feel like if you're, you're quote unquote, keeping something from them and that might turn into a nasty I guess it could go the other way too. Like I wouldn't, it's just a really sensitive thing. Like I also wouldn't. I'm just imagining like me in a really unhealthy state I could in theory go to counseling and then throw it in your face that I need counseling because you're so screwed up you know like definitely I wouldn't do that either I think I think it's okay to be open like this is affecting me and I I need to talk to somebody about it and like you don't have the capacity to let me be freely talking about that at this point in time. Right. You know, I think it would be reasonable to say that, but I don't have to say, me and my counselor talked about XYZ today. Right. Yeah. 
and that's true. But ultimately, ultimately, Sarah, you as a spouse need to take care of you, too. And what I think you didn't do is that you didn't take care of you. You know, you kind of pushed it all down, you know what I mean, instead of taking care of you. And that's something I think what you're saying, you encourage the spouse to take care of them, you know, take care of yourself. Absolutely. And get that help because ultimately my crap turned into Sarah's crap. And if Sarah doesn't deal with her crap, then it's going to cause major issues in her life, you know, personally. And then in turn, create problems in the marriage. And in a lot of ways, I think it did. You know, it did cause problems a little later in our marriage. And so, and we had to navigate through that. I want to be clear, too, just in case anyone's thinking this. I didn't force it wasn't like I told Sarah you will not tell anyone about the it was kind of like a it's just like a mutual understanding and kind of a respect kind of thing more than me like forcing you to no you never asked me to do that isolate and all that stuff I wanted to say too I think something that I've learned the last couple years that I've been learning and growing in our boundaries in different relationships, boundaries and friendships and boundaries and acquaintances. And I think there also need to be boundaries in marriage. And maybe that's something we don't talk about enough. But I think some of the best advice I received during that time when I, when I would, I would talk about, I was talking with Mimi a little bit about our marital problems without mentioning the abuse stuff. Right. Because there were a, a whole slew of things going on. <laughs> um, one of the things she would always say is that, I, f- I don't remember exactly how she would word it, but basically, like, just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean I need to have a bad day. Like, I don't have to let what you're going through affect me, which is, it's kind of a twofold thing because of course what you're going through is going to affect me, but to what extent am I going to let that, let let that affect me? And then also, um, kind of ties in what, with another woman who speaks into my life, Garvisa has said that, um, we had been talking about something else and, um, how did she say that? I love her visa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how she said it, but it was along the same lines that like what you're going through doesn't have to affect me, but it what how the the way she said it helped more. Like it what what someone is struggling with does not have to affect the way that you like it's their problem. That's it's right. Not your yeah, problem. because Garvisa is very blunt about things. Um, but she's basically saying like, my husband's problem doesn't have to be my problem. His sin is is not on me. Right. Not that your abuse was sin, but 
I think along the same lines, we don't talk about boundaries and marriage like that. I feel like that's a book though. Boundaries and marriage. Is that one of those books? Totally sounds like a book. Maybe it is a book and you've already read it. But I'm sure it is. For me, (laughs) man, I'm totally losing my train of thought. What were we talking about? Uh, I don't remember now. (laughs) But problems that help, things that uh, spouse needs to do in a traumatized situation. Oh, 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 okay, going back. So something that if I had been better, if I had been where I am now with being able to set boundaries in our marriage back then, then I think that would have helped, like, to say, hey, I, in a way that's loving, you can set boundaries in a way that's loving and not pushy or hurtful. Well, they might still hurt you because it's uncomfortable sometimes, but to say, like, I cannot, like, I don't have the capacity to have this conversation right now, which I did say that a lot in 2018. That was something I went, I did say a lot. Or to say, like, I need some space or I need to have a girl's night or yeah I don't know if that made any sense no it does it does make sense I think there needs to be caution with that too because you you also as hard as it is for both parties involved I think one of the things that I've learned both for myself knowing what to ask for and just at where I'm at now, knowing how to help other people when they open up is asking the simple question, what do you need right now? And a lot of times it's not really much, you know, like I need, I just need to be heard or, you know, I just need to hear I love you or something like that. It's usually nothing like super crazy, you know, and like going back to you with the boundaries thing, if I think it would be acceptable, you know, like uh, I'm in the midst of this terrible thing and I'm like just emoting a lot, like dumping. And, you know, you ask, what do you need right now? And I say, well, I really just need to get this stuff out. And then for you to say, well, I'm not really in a good space to give that to you right now but maybe at a different time and then maybe encouraging me to, Hey, why don't you go journal about this? Or why don't you call a close friend and talk to them or talk to Rick or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking, what do we say to the, to the wife who's, or yeah, to the wife whose husband won't, go to counseling or maybe he started counseling but didn't connect with the counselor like you know I can think of specific people who have been in this kind of situation but the the person who had been abused won't get help and there's no way you know you can't force somebody to get help I there's no way I could I could have convinced you to get help if you didn't want it right so how how can we encourage the wife or husband, you know, the person in that situation? I mean, that's a tough one because I feel like different people need different things to 
convince them. And some people are just stuck and refuse. You know, they just, I want nothing to do with counseling. You know, it's a joke. It's a waste of time. You know, especially if you're super cynical, you know, like, oh, yeah, let me go to the shrink, you know, and tell them all my problems and pay them $120 an hour. You know, it's, it is. It's a very difficult thing to do. And I think for me, I was cynical, very cynical about counseling. And it took, it took two different things, well, three different things for me to convince me to get counseling. And one of those things was hearing Rick telling his story, which I'd never heard before. And so that's why I'm really passionate about people sharing their stories on here because that was one thing that woke me up to that I need counseling. Two, Sarah being very adamant about me getting counseling and, you know, stressing this the severity of the situation. Like, Andrew, you really need to figure this out or, you know, things might end between us, you know, which was right and fair of you to do that. And the third thing being God orchestrating these things in my life and also speaking, you know, and putting that inside of me, Andrew, get counseling, Andrew, get counseling. But I think it's a tough question to really answer. You know, I I do. But, I mean, that's part of the heartbeat behind this, you know, I'm really, really praying and hoping that people that need counseling will hear these podcasts and they'll hear like what I've gone through and what so many others have gone through and they'll relate to, oh yeah, you know, I really do feel this way when this and this happens and oh, that's a trigger and because I'm triggered, I'm thinking irrationally and I'm stuck in this alternate place you know maybe I should get counseling because counseling is very hard and when you're in the midst of it it to be quite frank it sucks but the end result is so worth it because I personally am a healthier Andrew and a more normal stable Andrew in the end and it's hard because at the time I didn't want to hear that and I didn't believe it it took getting to the end for me to believe it but it's worth it and I there are going to be plenty of other people on this podcast that will say the exact same thing I've met so many people along the way who in the midst of my counseling pre-counseling post-counseling who have been through counseling and will tell you the exact same thing, men and women alike, that it's worth going through it. It's worth find, sticking it out to find the right counselor, and it's worth going through it because you are going to be a healthier you in the end. And so that is that is what I would say to somebody if I was trying to lovingly tell them, you really should get counseling. But a lot of times we're stubborn with our spouses. You know, like 
going way back, if you would have told me that before counseling, would I would I have listened to you? I, I tried to tell you that. Yeah, and I don't know that I would have. You know, because the dynamic can be different. You know, spouse spouse dynamic can be a little different sometimes. You know, like to me, it might come across as, oh, there she goes nagging me about doing something again. And really, you're just trying to lovingly tell me you need to get counseling and you're driving me nuts. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's difficult, I think. I don't know. I don't know what I would say. I think that's actually a really good point that we have to learn to be okay with it coming from somebody else. Like that, that is one of the most annoying things about marriage is I can tell you something 20,000 times. And I've heard this from other wives. This is like a normal thing. But if (laughs) Joe Schmo over there tells you the exact same thing, like me, you haven't heard it all of these millions of times I've said it and you don't believe me or... Okay, here's a really <laughs> stupid example. <laughs> I kept talking. We're, I I would eat more vegan if it was up to me and Andrew isn't fully on board. So we kind of meet in the middle and we're mostly vegetarian. And I kept going on about these cauliflower b- <laughs> cauliflower bites, you know, like the cauliflower wings and they're covered in sauce and... They're really good. And I kept talking about them. And Andrew kept saying, that sounds disgusting. And then his best friend, Eric, says, oh, my wife made these cauliflower wings. And they were so good. And Andrew's like, oh, we should make cauliflower wings. <laughs> I don't really like them now. Just just, F- just to <laughs> clear the air on that, I dislike them. They, um, Yeah, just thinking about them (laughs) makes my stomach hurt. Anyway, so my point being (laughs) (laughs) that I I think I need to be, it was important for me to humble myself and say it's okay if Rick's the one who needs to tell you that you need counseling or like I don't care who it comes from, just that you're getting what you need from someone. Yeah. Yep. So that that was that was that experience and um I would say the next obstacle that came in our way in our path was unexpected in a lot of ways um so at the towards the end of 2018 um we got pregnant no, 2007. Beginning of 2018. Oh, yeah, it would be. I'm th- I'm thinking about when she was born. I wasn't... Yeah, so the beginning of 2018, she was... Sarah was pregnant with our first child. So, think about all that. We, right in the midst of all this terrible counseling... Well, it was good counseling, but terrible time. <laughs> so, right in the midst of that, and... I'm hearing from people that I love, like, oh, you need to kind of speed up this process a little bit, which wasn't exactly the best thing to say, because um, it's not exactly something you just, oh, I'm I'm over it, I'm good now. But, um, so hearing that and kind of feeling the pressure of that was really, really hard. 
and then um I was just excited. We were both excited to have this this new baby in our lives and you know, we knew it was a baby girl and so we were real, you know, excited about that and you know, just it was scary, you know, like any parent, you know, it's scary when you have your first kid and you're just like, "Oh my gosh, I'm now responsible for this human life." And so but what I wasn't expecting was the beginning of the baby being born and in the world. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about that now. Um, for me, what caught me off guard was there were things that my daughter would do that would trigger me back to my childhood. I think the biggest one for me was, and it's really hard to talk about this stuff, and this is something that, you know, it's the truth. And, um, but her crying would trigger me. And I would would just be freaked out, you know, because it would just remind me of, Cause you know everything's kind of quiet and good going, and all of a sudden the baby's crying. Oh no, we gotta do the, you know, and you're just going crazy. That's the way it felt to me. You know, reality it probably was a lot less chaotic than that, but in my head it was like, you know, a nuclear explosion all of a sudden. We're running for cover and trying not to die, and but it was every time. And the reason was when I was a child be playing everything would be fine having fun with my sister and then boom all of a sudden we'd get attacked you know we get choked out or we get yelled at screamed at you know slapped around you know just all of a sudden you know and it felt a lot like that and so I really struggled early on with the crying especially and it felt and that's why I'm saying when somebody has been traumatized and is triggered, they go into this, it's almost like an alternate reality. Like it's not even true to the real reality. And so you, you just come up with these crazy things, you know, when you're in this state. And so I, and it's, it sounds totally stupid and it is, and I know that now, but at the time it felt like it was intentional. Like, it felt like my daughter was attacking me. And so every time she cried, heart rate instantly is going up, fight or flight. You know, I'm freaking out. I don't know what's going on, what to do. You know, and I wanted to, I would either shut down or I would just be like, man, you know, I just feel like she was attacking me. Like, why is she crying? You know, why is she doing this? And it was really, really hard, and I know it was very hard for Sarah, too, and, you know, do you mind sharing a little bit of, about how that experience was, you know, this is on, you know, kind of the tail end of the worst of my counseling, and now we're in this season. Well, it was, again, you know, just like before with learning about the abuse, it was just confusing for me. Because I felt like we're in a good place and we're excited about this new baby and 
Yeah. You know, everything seemed okay. And then suddenly you're like going off the deep end again. And I don't understand why or what's going on. And, and it's hard as, you know, I'm, I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know, you know, if you've, cause before Creabelle, you had never really been around kids. So is it just that you're uncomfortable with the baby or, you know, and I don't know that it ever really even dawned on me that it was connected to the abuse until you were figuring it out and working through that problem. Yeah. And so again, like really confusing, really hard. And it was again, like a lonely, isolated place, which, you know, being a new stay at home mom is already, already feels like that. But then I felt like I couldn't rely on you the way I needed to during that time like I if the baby was crying that was on me like I I needed to take care of that before Andrew had a meltdown yeah because I couldn't I just was in another world when that happened and it sounds it's kind of that's why it's so hard and this is what I really want to stress it's so hard to talk about because it sounds ridiculous it just sounds like Andrew's being a jerk you know, it sounds like Andrew's being this, you know, lazy, neglectful father, and it wasn't like that at all. It was, I literally, I just couldn't handle it. I just, it was just like any other trigger before Creabel, you know, and I had to learn. First of all, I had to figure out why I was freaking out like that, because I didn't like it. So I had to figure out why does this happen every time my daughter cries you know and you would tell me like you know it's she's not attacking you she's just a newborn baby you know she's just crying like any other normal baby and like I knew that but it didn't help me when it would happen again because automatically that oh there it goes you know it's like pushing a button in and this process would start all over again and on top of that I was scared it I was scared to I like I could hold hold my daughter but I was scared to like I was scared that any physical touch would be um I don't want to word this um she would interpret it as a sexual touch and so I was scared to death to even touch Creabelle most of the time and I felt scared to change her diaper or, you know, go in the bathroom, you know, and give, take her, give her a bath, you know, that kind of a thing. And it took me a long time to get past that as well. And so I think a combination of those three things, and I finally was able to narrow it down and, you know, talk with my counselor about it and work through it. And it took even talking through it and working through it, it took a while for it to really sink in. You know, it, it took time. And the worst part is I couldn't find anything because I was desperate because I knew that it was a big problem and I didn't like it. Sarah didn't like it. You know, I wanted to be more reliable father, you know, if Sarah needed me to get Creabelle when she was crying or change her diaper or give her a bath. You know, I didn't like that I was in this position. 
and I couldn't find anything about it. Like, no one is talking about being traumatized and being a parent and how you handle that. And so it was lonely, I think, for both of us. I think for you, too, it took a while for you to understand why I was responding that way. Because like you said, and it's so true, we were getting to a better place. You know, I was at kind of the, t- you know, by the time Creabelle was born, I was at kind of the tail end of a lot of the really traumatic stuff that I'd been through and working through a lot of it. I wasn't, still wasn't in the best place, but I was more stable than I had been in probably at least a year, I would say at that point so um yeah it was just really confusing because then all of a sudden Creabelle's born and now I'm unstable again and just trying to figure out why I think um I mean when you say that 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 probably sums sums that up like that is where we were at yeah and so I guess for me what I want to stress to if you're listening to this and you are the traumatized person it and it's hard because i i still struggle with feeling shame ashamed and embarrassed that that's the first 6 months of Ball's life i was you know in that panic fight or flight state and uh but don't it's nothing to be ashamed about, and it's something that you have to work through and just understand that it's just like anything else, any other trigger that you you experience. You know, you are triggered, your mind goes to a different place, and you're just back wherever that traumatic thing happened, and that's all you see around you. And so, and it's something you need to talk about, and it doesn't make you a bad parent. And just think about it in this, in the long term, like, you know, yes, the first six months were really bad, but now I'm in a place where I can give Creabelle my all, and we're pregnant with another child, and I know this time around I'm not going to be triggered every time our, we have, we're going to have a son, every time our son cries, you know, I'm not going to be in this alternate state, I'm going to be okay, I'll be able to get the baby, calm the baby down, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm not going to be freaked out if I have to give him a bath or freaked out if I have to change his diaper, any of that stuff. I can see, you know, think logically, you know. And so, what kind of advice do you think you would give somebody you know, who, like the spouse in this situation. I know that's a hard, I wouldn't even know what advice to give, to be honest. Because that's a hard situation to be in. I think, I, I don't know. I think what, one of the things that is hard about it is that I didn't realize that it was a, a trigger from your past. 
Like, that didn't even dawn on me. Maybe that's stupid. Maybe it should have. I don't think so, because I didn't know. It took a while for me to figure out that that was the cause of the problem. And then by the time I figured it out and worked through it and was fine, you know, six months later. So, I mean. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, because I didn't know it was the abuse, you know, I didn't know it was a trigger. I was really angry and I you know, felt cheated out of this really happy time in my life or what should have been such a happy time in my life. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe we just need to share this story more and, you know, maybe somebody listening can think, oh, this is something my husband does or my wife does and, you know, maybe there's more to it. Yeah, that is a huge thing. I definitely, because that's the biggest thing that I feel like is void in this is that nobody talks about it and I know that I'm not alone I know that you're not alone Sarah I know there are other people that go through this but uh, I think too many times it's just chalked up as wow you are a terrible father or a terrible mother how could you freak out when your baby's crying like are you serious you know and it it goes beyond like everybody at some point, will freak out that their baby's crying, you know, like, so don't think, oh, man, I freak out, hopefully I don't have any, no, everybody at some point will freak out that their baby is crying, but if you're kind of freaking out every time, there might be some things associated with that, and you should definitely get help, you know, especially a lot, some women experience, um, oh, what is it? Postpartum. Postpartum depression or psychosis. That's true. I, I did also deal with that, which was, you know, like a double whammy, not being able to rely on you because of these triggers you're having. And then my own mental state wasn't good to begin with. All right. And so you definitely want to watch out for if you're like the husband listening and your wife's kind of freaking out every time it's possible that she might be experiencing one of those two conditions or and you definitely want to get help with that um you can talk a lot of times you can talk to your doctor um or midwife your um like your family doctor or the doctor that helped deliver the baby, whatever office you went through, those are good places to start. Or I know in our area we have a program, a group called the Motherhood Collective, and they have a lot of different groups specific for um, women who are going through postpartum depression or anxiety or even depression and anxiety during pregnancy right stuff like that so there there are a lot of resources to help women going through those things and stressing it again that does not make you a bad person or a bad parent absolutely not you just need some help and you know i can say on the other side of it you know it just it feels so much better being able to not freak out or just enjoy 
my daughter and, you know, being able to function as a normal father and not have these mental issues going on in the background, you know, that doesn't say that we're perfect, you know, Sarah and I each have our bad days, but that's normal, you know, that's normal, when it's every single day is when you should really seek help and just think it's worth going through getting that help because you're really enabling yourself to be a better parent Russians just being a good parent whatever present present yeah being present in your child's life and you know so and kids know too they know when their parents are trying you know what I mean like they know so just don't be hard on yourself just focus on moving forward and um if you have issues like if you have a story to, to tell then tell it you know we need to really need to raise more awareness of this and it's hard because there's a lot of shame especially or just fear associated with sharing stuff like that you know because you think oh man what are people going to think of me you know or you know you, endless things are they going to someone going to get my kids taken away or something crazy like that you know but you know well, do you have anything else that you are thinking that you would, advice-wise, you would want to give to people? I feel like there's more. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface mm. a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just... <clears throat> you're a really good dad. I, I know I probably don't say that enough, but... You know, you're the the fun dad and the silly dad. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, you're just a really good dad, and you know you haven't let what happened to you affect how you parent Kriebel. You've risen above it, and I'm really proud of you for that. Uh, thank you, sir. I, that means the world to me to hear that, and. Definitely something worth reminding me of because I don't, a lot of times I don't feel like that. And because I know there's still things, I know there's still things. At, at this point, I feel more confident in handling things. And I know there are going to be certain things down the road that are, are going to be things I struggle with, but more common things like, you know, if you were raised in a, extremely strict household and then your spouse was raised in a little bit more of a liberal household you know how do you kind of balance that out in your parenting styles you know different normal things that I know are going to be things that I struggle with but I feel more confident in being able to navigate those having worked through my the serious stuff that needed worked through and so, again, I would 
absolutely encourage anybody that is either the spouse of the traumatized or the traumatized to get help and persevere, push through it because it, it is worth it. And it's going to really, it's going to save your marriage in the long run and it's going to save your child's well-being in the long run. And yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. And also going back to what we were saying, talking about before this, remember if you're the spouse of the traumatized to take your self-care seriously. Take your own personal mental health seriously and get some counseling. Find somebody that you can talk to that you trust and that, you know, they trust you, you know, so it doesn't turn into like some kind of gossip fest and then, you know, they're spouting off information they shouldn't other people. And remember, just ask the traumatized person, what do you need right now? And if you can't fulfill that need, I can't really do that right now, maybe later, but you could do this or this, this. And as a traumatized person, get the counseling, work through that crap because it's worth it. And remember, and I know it's hard, but remember that um, you do have somebody else in your life and potentially others in the future, you know, if you have children. But just remember that they have needs too. And, you know, just kind of keep it in the back of your mind that to be present as much as you possibly can with your spouse. And even if it's just saying, I love you, you know, just some kind of indicator that you're still there and present and try to be open with your spouse about what's going on internally you know do so cautiously you know gracefully you know don't just emotionally dump 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 because that can be overwhelming for anybody to have to go through that over and over and over and over so and you you'll learn over time to what's appropriate to talk to your spouse about what maybe just hey let's keep this between the counselor and I because you know my spouse has heard a lot already and maybe this just needs to stay between me and my counselor but I can at least say that counseling session was really rough and I'm not in a very good place right now and I really need some space kind of thing. So do you have anything that you would Yeah, like? that's actually a good point. I forgot about that. That was something. I think Mimi even told me, like, that was good advice from Mimi, too, was that, like, if you had a really bad counseling session to text me before you come home and say, hey, this is where I'm at. Like you just said, this is where I'm at. This is what I need or don't need. I don't want to talk about it. I just, you yeah. know, I just need to be with you or I just need to be alone or, you know, be, I can't, 
you know, I'm your wife, but I can't read your mind. I don't know what you need. And sometimes when you were done with counseling, you did just need to be alone for a really long time. Or sometimes you just wanted to sit with me on the couch and not say anything. And, you know, as, you know, be, we both need to be respectful and open to that. Just, like, communicate what your needs are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think we're going to wrap this conversation up. But, uh, Sarah, thank you for coming on the podcast with me today. And, uh... We'll talk to you all next time.